Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, November 5th. Now, Disney's Encanto actually held its world premiere at the El Capitan just this past week on the Wednesday the 3rd? Yes, correct. Normally, you get to go to these things, but there was kind of a hiccup there, right? Yeah, I was invited, so I just want to thank mm-hmm. all of my friends at Walt Disney Animation Studios and Walt Disney Pictures, but mm-hmm. um, I could not go because this premiere required not only proof of vaccination, which is something that's now required all over Los Angeles right now. We've had a little bit of a spike, so I'm glad that is being implemented. Seriously, I saw the story today about a possible fifth wave. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to schedule my booster, mm-hmm. but they required the, the proof of vaccination and also a negative test. And mm-hmm. I was just so busy. You know, it either, either has to be 72 or 24 hours before. <laughs> and I freely admit Aww. I just could not get it together to get the test. So... I will be seeing it tomorrow morning, bright and early mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. Hopefully it's one of those bring your kids screenings and mm-hmm. I will be just thankful that my wife and I are not do not have children. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And of course, I will talk all about it on mm-hmm. next week's episode for sure. Can't wait. Can't wait. But there was a reason that Disney actually put this additional step in place, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I, there was um, an exposure at the Eternals premiere, which mm. was, I think, two or three weeks ago, which I was also at. And apparently that really jeopardized like their entire promotional tour for the rest of the movie. So they were really, really nervous, and this is why they did it last night, because all the stars and everything were there, and if they can't go on Good Morning America or whatever it is, that's a big problem. So I, I totally understand it. I I, mm-hmm. I just I would if I was Disney, I would have put somebody in the parking garage at Hollywood and Highland doing it and just say come 45 minutes early. But mm. you know, they put it on the on the guest and so that's that's what happened. I just couldn't okay, get it together. Well, yeah. You're allowed. You're you're a busy guy. <laughs> if you haven't already listened to it folks, Drew came on Disney Dish this week, and I I love that you finally got to tell the story of the Lone Ranger stuff that was supposed to be added to Big Thunder. Uh, Before we finish talking about Disney here, what did you make of the the news that just broke about uh, Gal Gadot playing the Evil Queen in... I've lost count of how many of these live-action reboots Disney's done at this point. I know. Well, and then if do you count Pete's Dragon, or is that not really mm-hmm. because it was already half live-action before? But mm-hmm. yes. Well, you know, Gal Gadot, 36 years old, one of the most beautiful people on the planet. I can see why they said, let's turn her into an old crone, Jim. <laughs> you know, that's my feeling. Don't they kind of paint themselves in a corner with the whole who is the fairest in the land? I mean, this puts a lot of pressure on who they got playing Snow White. Oh, oh. Rachel Zegler, yeah. Who's, yeah. Yeah. No pressure. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Oh. I guess that begins production in 2022 at some point. Was kind of intrigued to have Tom Hanks. He's out doing uh, press for his new Amazon movie. Apple TV Plus Finch. Apple TV Plus. Uh, Yeah. And after all of that wooing for the Pinocchio, for him to play Geppetto with Robert Zemeckis, have we heard anything 
about that going forward now? Uh, I think it shot the, this year, I believe. Okay. I think it's not on the it's not on the calendar for twenty two, mm-hmm. um, but Peter Pan and Wendy is. So mm-hmm. I would guess that it'll be twenty three. I think there's going to be you know as we imagine some pretty significant visual effects work going on in there. So, but it's already shot. Really? I believe it was shot this year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, now I got to go back and look at all of the. <laughs> look at Robert Zemeckis's. Uh, Social media posts. That's a that's kind of an indication. Yeah. I guess I need to go back and look at when Hanks had a mustache earlier this year. It's right. Like a- well, was his mustache for Colonel Sanders? What's his name? What, who is the? He's playing the Colonel in oh, the oh, Elvis oh, movie. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Tom Parker. Yes, Colonel oh, Tom Parker. Yes. I was going to say great. Sanders. I mean, he could be. He could. Tom Hanks can do it all, Jim. He could be. Colonel there we Sanders. go. There we go. But, okay. Yeah. Back to animation news from the real world now. First, the news portion of today's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, this Paw Patrol, the movie news? Right. The actual movie came out August 20th this year, grossed $40 million in North America, another 88 overseas, so... Box office total of $128 million, which is good because this Spin Master Entertainment film only cost $26 to make. And, and I guess the Blu-ray and DVD just went on sale this past Tuesday and must have done great because the sequel is coming out in October of 2023. Is that correct? Yeah, I heard it was a big hit for Paramount and Paramount Plus because you remember it was released the same day. And, you know, yes. since then, they've it's gone to digital. Now it's on DVD and Blu-ray. So, I mean, mm. this thing has been making money for the past couple of months just nonstop. So, yeah, I think okay. I think it did well. Yeah. And and not only that, as part of this announcement, they mentioned there's a Paw Patrol spinoff series also coming in 2023. By the way, you, you just mentioned Paramount Plus. We were remiss last week. We should have mentioned that Star Trek Prodigy began its run on Paramount Plus back on October 28th, right? Yes. I think last week we were in the throes of you having deleted all of your login information. (laughs) I think we might have not talked about it because you had not logged into Paramount Plus correctly. But yeah. Yeah, that could well be. But we like to talk up this show because, of of course, it came from Kevin and Dan Hagman, who we had on the show earlier this year for Troll Hunters Rise of the Titans. When we interview them, they they seemed very eager to come on and talk about. Yes, we got to reach out to them again and, and make that happen for sure. I guess there's been two episodes to date of the first season's 10 episode run. Have you seen any of them? I I saw the first one. I haven't watched this week's yet, but Mm. I loved the pilot. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was just great. Half the fun of Star Trek Lower Deck is it constantly making fun of Trek, whereas Star Trek Prodigy actually goes in the exact opposite direction. This thing is heartfelt. It's sincere. Also looks great. Yes, although I think the Lower Decks episode this this season where they go to all the Lower Decks on the different ships is maybe yeah. one of my favorite Star Trek things ever. It's so much fun, but then you get that battle yeah. at the end of the episode that's that's as good as anything from you know, one of the Star Trek series or the Star Trek movies, and just absolute killer moment. you got to check it out. Yeah. 
And speaking of space-related stuff, have you managed yet to get to see Blush from Apple TV Plus yet? Or? Yes, I think we might have talked. Did we not talk about this earlier? I think maybe I had seen it preview, but maybe you hadn't gotten to see it yet. But you, you have watched it now? Yeah. And? and oh, oh, my God. Joe Mateo. <laughs> it's like they should have put a warning up front on that. It's, it's like, you know, the please gonna pause the television, go get a bunch of Kleenex. Right. This one's going to get you. No, it's so beautifully done. This one debuted back on October 1st of this year, folks. It's only 10 minutes long. But seriously, if you're in need of a good cry or just want to watch a a great little piece of animation. This is worth going out of your way to see. Yeah, it's the first Skydance piece of animation for Apple TV+. That's Plus. true! Yeah. So, speaking of stars, what do you make of this Chris Pratt as the voice of Garfield thing? I mean, he clearly has never met a voice role <laughs> that he <laughs> turned down. I really liked his work as Barley Lightfoot in Pixar's Onward. And, by the way, here, gratuitous plug, folks. If you want to know anything about that particular Pixar film, which was released to theaters back in 2020, there's an amazing book that Chronicle put out that just coincidentally Drew wrote. Oh, Jim, you're too sweet. No, it is. It's a great book. It really is. Though, have you watched any of the footage yet for the Castle show? Yes, there's a lot of Onward in it. <laughs> there is. They're surprising. You know, it's one of these things where they, in a weird sort of way, I was so excited for you. It's like, yeah, hey, it's, it's got- pretty amazing. I mean, it, it obviously it fits very well in with the sort of fantasy land element, mm-hmm. but. I, wa- I also wonder if that was maybe done before the pandemic. and I don't know. But what I love is they drop in right in with Merlin and the fairy godmother and yeah. the blue fairy and Mama Odie. And it's just sort of like he's right up there with the Disney and the Pixar characters who wield magic. And it was like, that is really cool. I love that they did that. Yeah, they were both out uh, um, on Pixar Pier, too, during Oogie Boogie Bash, which was great. Were they really? Yeah. And oh. they, those are really cool costumes. They're like... 3D printed like versions of the the Pixar files. I mean, they're really good. So yeah, if you ever get a chance to see them, go. Okay. I don't know if you can hug them yet, but stand near them and have somebody take a picture. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Wave to them from afar. Right. Okay. So Chris Pratt's next project, being the voice of Garfield, to look at the credits on this one, and it's like we have a script by David Reynolds, who not only did the script for Finding Nemo, but also worked on Chicken Little, and and in fact, the director of Chicken Little, uh, Mark Dindale, will be directing the Garfield movie. So those are two positive checks. No, it's great. And, you know, David Reynolds is like an old school Letterman guy, I think. Mm -hmm. Right? I think he came from that world. I want to say yes. I want to say yes. So so this is going to be funny. It's going to be funny. But is Chris Pratt a Lorenzo (laughs) Music or or even a Bill Murray, Jim? That's what I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't know. This comes on the heels of the news that he's going to be in the Nintendo movie that Illumination is doing. That will be out next December. Yeah, I wonder where the premiere for that will be held, Jim. Hmm. Could that be a theme park that perhaps has something that they might want us to pay attention to? He's somebody who's made a lot of money for many studios. Think about it. He's Jurassic World. He's Guardians of the Galaxy. We just had him in The Tomorrow War, which they announced five minutes after that began airing on Amazon that we're going to get a sequel. Did you watch that? I have not yet. It's fun. It's fun. You should watch it. There's some good twists. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think just this morning, did you see how social media began going after Chris Pratt today because of what he posted about his daughter? I mean, he's just kind of a weirdo and he's very religious and I don't know. Not to say that that's wrong. It's, or it's more not the wrong, point. no, but he's just, he kind of just gives a weird vibe. I don't know if you've ever been around him, but it's definitely there even in okay. the most casual setting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There must have been a lot of studios this morning who were watching when that was blowing up. The whole thing about my beautiful, healthy daughter. And what was weird is that people were filling in the blanks for everybody else. Well, you should be upset about this because his son, Jack, who was born in 2012, had to spend so many weeks in the NICU and had developmental issues. And he's fine now. He's a wonderful nine-year-old kid. But, right. wow, we are really dragging this guy's personal business right into the... The front window. Yeah, and I and think it's, it's hard to tell tone, too, on social mm. media. You know, it's a slippery slope for people to just be judging people on that, what they're posting. And, and especially since he always is very positive about everything and, you know, yeah, very yeah. loving. And he has a new wife and all this stuff. So, mm -hmm. I don't know, Jim. Okay, well... Speaking, though, of, of cat movies, you also tripped over this info about Legendary has acquired the feature rights as well as the television rights for Heathcliff. Was there anybody on the planet who was like, oh, geez, if there would just be a Heathcliff movie, my life would be complete. I'm sort of a fan of the Heathcliff animated series from the early to mid 80s. I forget. Wasn't that packaged with some other characters though too. i want to say yes because the heathcliff animated stuff came on the heels of the success of the garfield stuff which people forget the first garfield animated thing it was october of 82 a half hour special called here comes garfield and so that's 39 years ago so it was heathcliff and then the cadillac cats just just for clarification <laughs> but i think okay. later in the run they incorporated like Marmaduke and anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you do what you can, but, <laughs> and I guess that's, what's intriguing about this whole thing is that it's the feature rights and the television rights. Cause we got the two Bill Murray Garfield movies. The original was June of 2004. And then the sequel was June of 2016. And then the following year was when they developed the Garfield CG series, which began airing in November of 2009. But, that's the thing today. It's not just, we're going to make a movie. We're going to make an animated series. We're going to stream it. Listen, I'm ready for the Heathcliff shared universe, Jim. <laughs> Bring in all the Cadillac cats. <laughs> Bring in Marmaduke. I don't even care, Jim. Bring them all. Uh, if I'm going to get invested in an expanded universe and, and new adventures, I think we've had, had a teaser trailer and we just had the new Really For Real trailer drop. What did you make of that? I actually didn't watch it because, oh. and I think I put this in an email to you, I'm going to the world premiere next weekend at the AFI Fest in Los Angeles. So I am saying, you know what? I'm going to go in knowing as little about Sing 2 as I can. I heard the I heard the new U2 song. Sounds great. And let me tell mm. you, Jim, around town, it is Sing City. They are pushing it hard. And I don't really? know if that's an animated feature play or that's mm. just the big universal movie this year, but it is everywhere. The YouTube, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's repurposed in a really great way. Okay. It's one of these things where it's like, this is something definitely 
worth checking out. But I think you were mentioning Universal has ambitions for this one, right? Yeah, I mean, based on all of that stuff, I think that they're going to make a big Oscar play. And I think that that U2 song, if he sings it, if Bono sings it in the movie, I think can be used as... uh, you know, best original song potential nomination. Oh, gee, hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so there's a lot of touch points there, and I think it's, you know, it's very interesting. Garth Jennings is a really interesting British filmmaker. This is his own, you know, this is his follow up to the first thing. So I'm sure he was mm-hmm. been working on this beast for years, and um, I'm very excited. And I will, of course, again share everything from that premiere on the show. So can't wait, can't yeah. wait. And as if we haven't talked about. Enough animals on this show. Drew and I got to chat with the filmmakers from Netflix's upcoming animated feature, Back to the Outback, which will be showing up on that subscription streaming service on December 10th. And Drew and I will talk more about that movie after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you see the news about the Shrek 4D attraction shutting down at Universal Studios Florida? Yes. I think that this attraction is interesting because for something that's supposed to be exclusive to Universal Studios Florida uh, mm-hmm. and several other parks, it has been, it's on Netflix. It has been released on DVD. I mean, this thing has been distributed everywhere. I mean, imagine if It's Tough to Be a Bug was just on Disney+. Plus. I mean, I'm imagining it now and I'm liking what I'm imagining, but... It's really crazy how far and wide that thing has been spread around. Oh, yeah. In fact, I want to say the Warner Brothers movie park in Germany even had it for a while. Oh, in Dusseldorf. I don't know (laughs) really where it is. (laughs) Okay, but that closes January 10th, 2022. So just a few weeks left to see this, folks. We had talked on a previous show about you going over to Universal Studios Hollywood to check out the uh, Circuit Life of Pets off the leash ride. If you talk to folks with Universal Creative, evidently there are two camps in regard to what's going to replace Shrek 4D. And one is we keep this thing as a movie theater. I don't know if you've ever gotten into the DreamWorks Theater on the upper lot at at Universal Hollywood and saw the 
the Kung Fu Panda Emperor's Quest film. Jim, I did a hard hat tour of that theater. I have did seen. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. a really cool theater. Mm. I'm not super crazy about the movie, but the way that the theater looks and the kind of way that it's not just the screen you're looking at in front of you, you mm. know, the, the, you know, there's projection mapping on the walls. I think there's something oh, like no doubt. 17 no doubt. projectors or something crazy. Mm. So it's really interesting. Although if I had my choice about what was going in there, mm-hmm. it would be secret life of pets. Well, see, now that's the thing. Yeah. They were talking about the concept that they've done on the upper lot at, at Universal, the, the Illuminations neighborhood. And you've got Despicable Me, uh, Minion Mayhem, right across the street from it. In fact, the very first version of that attraction that was made. So evidently, there's been some discussion with the folks at Comcast about, well, how much is it going to cost to, you know, it's a, it's a movie theater. We could throw the Kung Fu thing in immediately. But on the other hand, if you're going to turn it into... The Secret Life of Pets Off the Leash, you know what the outside of that building looks like. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing show building. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any chance that Potter could gobble that space up? Whenever you talk with the folks at Universal Creative about Potter these days, it's mostly about how amorphous the Potter stuff that's going into Epic Universe is. Interesting. They are still looking at the parks, and again, I don't know if you saw... Universal Florida just announced that they are have officially closed and it's going away forever where the stunt show where they used to do the Bill and Ted thing. That's, oh, the, that's, isn't it the Fear Factory? Fear there Factory? we go. Yeah. That's the last show in there. But that's going away. And that could be a good spot for something. The thinking is that they are literally at the outermost edge of a diagonally. And if you're going to expand the footprint of Potter... Why not do it there in kind of the same tradition of how the Hagrid's magical creatures motorbike ride really occupies the same footprint as Dragon Challenge. But also kind of the thinking is that it's still an improvement. It's still a better ride. And so it's like, okay, so could we do something additionally in the the Diagon Alley space? You know, we could maybe throw in here. Yeah, I saw some talk about like... uh night bus attraction or something but yeah that's been on the table for a while what's really weird about that talk is both you and i have experienced the less than thrilling version of fast and furious supercharged sure and the thinking is well you know we are harry potter adjacent and, you know, if we are serious about the night bus, we do kind of have a bus already. We have a party bus. It's a genuinely weird time to be talking with the folks at Universal because Mr. Roberts, the gentleman in charge of Comcast, who really, really, really likes theme parks. But it's sort of like, aren't we making a giant theme park down the street? Should you know, are we really throwing money into Universal Florida at the same time? So it's right. going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We talked about before the break, Netflix, Back to the Outback, which do you want to share the logline here? I'm going to just riff my own logline. What do you think about that, Jim? Um, okay. Can't I, wait. Can't wait. <laughs> it's about a bunch of less than adorable animals, although they are, are they look really adorable, that are part mm-hmm. of a thing called the Danger House at the mm-hmm. Sydney Zoo. And they are tired of, you know, people thinking they're horrible and... So a bunch of these animals, a snake, a scorpion, a uh, horny toad, which is what we call them in, <laughs> in 
in Texas. I'm not sure what they call them in Australia. Um, okay. And a spider mm. team up, and they want to go back to the outback. And but they have a very interesting sort of hostage who is this very cute koala bear who's kind of like the star of the zoo and he goes along with him but we only saw 30 minutes ish yep. of it and so we don't really know what happens when they go out on the outback but we'll see it soon enough when this premieres on netflix harry cripps uh who's one of the two directors on this thing uh claire knight is the other one harry uh came up with the story with uh his friend gregory lazan Drew and I got the opportunity to sit down with Harry and Claire, though through no fault of his own. Drew, you you got to interview them for the the rap dot com, yes. and we and the idea was that Drew was going to hang on, and then the two of us were going to interview them together. But there, there was a miscommunication. I was unaware. I was unaware. <laughs> there but, we go. Yeah, there we go. They, All right, so, they were wonderful. I thought, and Claire has been a, a an editor for a long time at DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. Harry. Worked on the Larrikins, the similarly themed but ultimately unproduced animated feature. So I can't wait to hear what you, you talk to him about, Jim. Is this for an article? Yeah, this is going to accompany, by the time this show is up, the trailer mm-hmm. for Out mm-hmm. to the Outback will be out. And so you can watch the trailer and read my interview with them on therap.com. Okay, so here's my interview with Harry and Claire. Okay, uh, we are here with Claire Knight and Harry Cripps, the co-directors of Back to the Outback, a delightful new animated feature that will be debuting on Netflix on December 10th of this year. Harry, you wrote the screenplay for this animated feature, which was based on a story that you and Gregory Lazan dreamed up. Can, can yeah, you that's talk correct. About- uh, oh. Yeah, Greg, Greg Lessons. He actually <laughs> brought the idea. He came up with the idea himself, but he came in to me with it. And it came from a place he took his children to the opening of the butterfly enclosure at the um, Natural History Museum. And all they wanted to do was run off and see the snakes and spiders. So he came up with this idea. Wouldn't it be cool to make a movie where it's those, the creepy crawlies, the, the deadly, the venomous creatures of the heroes, not the traditional cute and cuddly ones. And from there, it seemed a natural jump to, you know, decide to make it, set it in Australia, because Australia is home to some of the cutest, cuddliest animals in the world. But it's also got, you know, some of the most dangerous and deadly animals in the world. So once he brought that to me, I loved it because I grew up in Australia, in, in Sydney, in the Blue Mountains with a lot of those animals, with snakes and spiders, all of those things in and out of the house all the time. And I always preferred them to the koalas and the kangaroos. So I love the idea of making a movie where they were the heroes, where we could sort of give them personalities and, and um, you know, make them very sympathetic, nice characters. One of the things I, I love about what I've seen so far, uh, Back to the Outback, is, is the character design. I honestly never thought I would encounter a grandmotherly saltwater crocodile, or for that, that matter, a very earnest, determined to be helpful great white shark. In this story, at least for a moment or so, they, these characters have to play to both values. They have to initially yes. be scary. And then as a member of the audience, you realize, oh, I'm mistaken. That's sweet. And so, but that's got to be tough. How much of that was the writing of the script over that matter, character design or the animation? We had a fantastic script from Harry. And then we kind of sat with these extraordinary images of these animals that everyone's scared of. And, uh, People would come into our office and look and go, I can't look in that side of the wall because there's a snake. And I can't, you know, people have phobias. Very conscious of that. Um, We were also questioned whether our lead should be a snake um, because snakes aren't very huggable. 
<laughs> so uh, we we took that challenge and wanted them to really um, be kind of part of that idea of perceptions. Mm-hmm. What is the perception of this deadly animal, and uh, what is under what's underneath? And so it had a lot of that uh, ironic aspect to it. We we worked with uh, Jesse Acklin, our character designer, to make them very appealing. But at the same time, when we brought our actors in, we wanted their voices so that they wouldn't be, you know, broad in any way. They are kind of, they have a human aspect to them, but they also have a kind of animal aspect. And we also use the animal traits, you know, spiders are known for their mating dances. Um, I think, uh, you know, Maddie, our lead, uh, with her fangs, we we always thought of her as this kind of teenage girl with braces and she pulls up her tail to cover herself. So there was a lot of the aspects of the themes of the movie of not judging a book by its cover that we were using um, in the actual making of the character. So it all kind of filled out and went along its way as the process went forward. Got it. Got it. And I have to admit, you did uh, a terrific design uh, job with the design of Maddie. And for that matter, I, again, I've only seen the first half hour of this thing, but based on the early phase of, of Frank's mating dance, I can't wait to see what you guys deliver with the rest of the movie. Whoever handled Frank did a masterful job. Harry did a lot of dancing on camera as well. So, yeah, I'm not very proud of that, Jim. That, and we've since deleted the footage of that, but it, it was a way of communicating with our animators. We were doing all of this in lockdown, all the animation. So it required some extreme measures. So we all did a lot of dancing on camera. That said, are you guys concerned at all about getting banned from Australia, given that Back to the Outback introduces a pretty boy, the world's first obnoxious koala? You know, (laughs) um, doesn't that undermine Australia's tourism a bit? I know, I know. But I'm sure there are a few obnoxious koalas. And believe me, I've met some obnoxious koalas in my time, too. So this is just looking a bit on, you know, this is really exposing them for who they really are. Now, already... It's a road picture. We've seen the zoo. We're in Sydney Harbour. We see Sydney, the city, looming in the background. We have our romanticized version of the outback. And they're going to encounter other obstacles along the way. And it's like, so you did all of this, this ambitious a movie during lockdown, mm-hmm. you know, with that many settings. Oh, my God. How did you pull that off? It, it kind of got us through lockdown that mm-hmm. we were working. Uh, and, and it has a kind of... Strange, odd irony that we were all in our Zoom boxes and our Google Hangouts while, you know, talking to animators all over in in Canada and in Dallas. And Mm -hmm. same as our characters, they were trying to break out of of their boxes to get Mm -hmm. out into the world. And oddly, it seemed like a big challenge, but it kind of all helped us as a crew to get through this. And Mm -hmm. um, it we all worked really, really, We, you know, you really had to work on your communication. As I say, we did a lot of uh, performing on camera to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to talk through um, live action reference for some of our characters. But also, you know, just in terms of t- launching artists, we were very, very clear and very, very we kind of really all the work we put into um, getting the visuals and the art of it together really played out in how we kind of could launch everyone and kind of felt like we knew these characters so well. 
Yeah, because normally, of course, we would all go to the outback and we would spend a lot of time there with the artists, and you know, which we couldn't do. We couldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so we we it wasn't just photos either. It's like Claire said, we actually went through you know all great Australian artists and every anything that evoked a mood or a sense of color or a sense of place or texture, anything um, that would you know give convey this feeling that we wanted to. Uh, give to this world, this vast, vast world. What I love about this is you were working with the real effects animation studio folks who, who've done some great work in the past, like Wide Weed Road. Uh, can you talk about how you decided which chunk of the film went to which studio or or how you divvied it up, so to speak? Well, I think we, we really used um, real effects for all mm -hmm. the animation and most of their uh, animators are based in uh, Montreal or in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And so we were working with, uh, you know, cross site with them anyway, but we were expected to have gone out there and, and been with them quite a lot. Um, mm -hmm. We were fortunate that we met them just before the lockdown, but mm -hmm. it was all uh, real effects that handled all the animation. Yeah, except we do have one, you saw a glimpse of it, a 2D mm -hmm. sequence, a flashback, and that was done by a, um, an animation company in Australia. It was a really beautiful uh, depiction of the flashback. Oh, that it was mostly done out of yeah. now speaking of which though was there one particularly tough sequence in the film yes the mm -hmm. actually the one that we had most we struggled with you've seen the shark in the in the harbor yeah that really? was um yes i know and it seemed you know and it's a big talking scene because you're getting mm -hmm. you're conveying a lot of information about the USS, the Ugly Secret Society, and we're getting <laughs> yes. out. The world's longest password. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was a mistake for a start, right? Yeah. But, um, but it, that that sequence um, went back and forth and back and forth, didn't it, Claire? And it was yeah. just really, um, But I think we some of our storyboard artists just came, you know, they brainstormed all kinds of ideas yeah. around uh, Jacinta and how she would, because it, it was it was a little talky. And mm -hmm. so um, we we really she she they came up with so many great ideas around how mm -hmm. we would show this scene. But I think also the scenes that we struggled with at the very beginning was all these animals in boxes and how we would find a camera language for that. Mm -hmm. um, that was quite a challenge that we were concerned about, and the perception of that idea of a camera of perception, the uh, the human perception of these animals, and then when the animals talk how the shift then all of those things uh, was a was an evolution of of trial and error or, or, or trial and success we feel mm -hmm. at, the, <laughs> at the end of it all given how cinematic that segment of the, the film is it's a real credit to you guys that you found your way out of the box so to speak <laughs> when you make an animated films things come in at different times and in different ways was there one particular scene when it came through you were especially happy with or I believe that for me, it's the one um, where we're in the outback. Yeah. Uh, you haven't seen it yet, mm. <laughs> but it, it kind of evolved and it really hit the what we were trying to get with these little animals, again, like uh, in Lawrence of Arabia, in this mm. vast environment. And I feel like we really, it was a challenge, but we got there and I felt it's unusual in animated features to see that kind of concept of these tiny animals in such a vast environment. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was very, I, um, I hope when you see it, you, mm. you feel the same. Yeah. 
having only seen a half hour of this, it's good, solid, professional storytelling, great production values. And I realized the challenges you were facing behind the scenes with the pandemic and the crew scattered everywhere. But none of that shows up on screen. It just, you know, it, it's a good, solid movie. And I can't wait right. to, to get to see the, the next hour's worth. How, how would, what do we got for running time in this one? 85 minutes. 85 Ah. minutes, yeah. Okay, I got 55 to go. All right, so, well, I can't wait for December 10th to get here when uh, Back to the Outback shows up on Netflix. So uh, thanks again, Claire and Harry, for making the time today, and uh, best of luck to you with the film. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Drew and I both got to see the first half hour of this thing, and it was overall charming. There was just one thing, Drew, and I, I... Hesitated to bring this up to the filmmakers, but it's Eric Banner who plays the zookeeper, right? I think so, yeah. And we we get to see him and his son at the zoo, and they're wearing those light brown zookeeper outfits that will look very familiar to anyone who watched Steve Irwin when he was doing all of his animal shows. And just before the 30 minutes of footage ends... There's a moment where Eric Banners goes into the bedroom of his son and the son is is feeling sad. And so the, the dad goes to make him feel better by pulling out a, a bedtime story, which is the story of, of his adventures. And don't they select a story where it's like, let's read the story about the time that the the pythons got your mom or something to that effect, right? Yeah, I think that that... My, this is my feeling is that it's going to be a twist later on in the movie that he made it up to make the animals scarier than they are. Okay. All right. But yeah, it, it did It did hit a little close to home. I, get, I see what you're getting at. It just seemed like it was an unnecessary foul. It was one of the things that you didn't have to go there. You didn't have to provide a way that the audience could maybe make a connection between these characters and what happened to the Irwin family. Right. Because up until that point, it's a ridiculously charming Movie, in fact, I love the moments where it's sort of like you have a saltwater crocodile, which is one of the most deadly animals on the planet, but they do it as this sweet grandmotherly character. Well, listen, you put you put Jackie Weaver in any role. She's going to just bring uh, that warmth, you know? Yeah, but it's just, it's an unforced error. Maybe you could lose that joke. Between, well, but at the same time, if you're right, that it, if it turns out that he's made all this stuff up, or maybe that story point will pay off. But yeah, it, it took me out of the movie for a little bit. Right. I get it. Okay, so again, that's a Back to the Outback. It will be arriving on Netflix December 10th. But we've got some other stuff arriving between now and then. And that is Drew's other excellent podcast, Light the Fuse. What do you got going on there? Well, this week we talked to the great Teddy Newton, who uh, fine-tuning fans will know as an animation great. And he actually gives us some great stories about how he got involved in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and confirms for the first time that it's his voice in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And he was just wonderful. He was absolutely great. He told some great stories about Brad Bird. And uh, yeah, and I have another plug to do, Jim. Okay. You know, you were talking about the Claude Coates book on uh, Disney Dish this week, and I'm actually hosting a virtual talk with Claude's son, Alan, and our friend Dave Bossert for Gallery Nucleus. 
and that'll be this upcoming Saturday uh, from two to five. And you get admission, virtual admission if you order the book, and then you'll have a sa- signed um, nameplate or whatever they call them that'll that'll come with the book. And I'm really looking forward to that because Dave and Alan are both amazing uh, people oh, and have have great stories. Yeah. So I know you can also en- enthusiastically just talk about the book, right? Oh God, yeah, it's killer. Dave was nice enough to, to share it to me. I'm, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm I'm waiting for my actual hard copy, but he slid me the PDF version of the book back in June, and there is so much goodness here. So much about the early early versions of Epcot, or him working on you know Claude working on animated features. But yeah, no, right. it, it's a oh you're gonna you're gonna have fun. That this is Dave's yeah, a great yeah. storyteller. The, the audio, please, please, okay. And I I'll, and I'll try to find that the I did a chat this week with all, the team for Mitchell's in the machine. And I'll try to get that as well to you because that was a great, great chat. So, so put that on your on your calendar, there, folks. The the, the gallery nucleus, Claude Coates book thing. That's going to be definitely worth checking out. This week, did we maintain a somewhat lower profile on social media, or was I just? Yes, it's because I'm being worked to death, Jim. Um, <laughs> that's yes. why I'm not on social yes. media. Okay. Yeah, I've been writing 5,000 Eternals articles. And, you know, so anyway, I, I have not been mouthing off as much as I, I usually am. But uh, there's plenty of amazing stuff out there to watch and to see and to experience for mm-hmm. sure. So, But if people are looking for you on social media, where can they find you? Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt uh, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm so close to 4,000 followers, Jim. Please, people, follow me on Twitter. It's the only thing that I'm living for. You got Lentesta this week. In fact, I got Lentesta and I got Chris Miller. Two highly sought Ooh, after followers. Yeah. Well, so. okay. Moving up the food chain. Here. Yes. <laughs> All right. And our side of the fence, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media and on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. So we're going to let Mr. Taylor go here so he can get, get in a nap before his 10 a.m. <laughs> screening of Encanto, which I'm going to ask you right up front here. Don't tell me about Bruno. I really want to know what's going on with Bruno, but you know we don't talk about Bruno, Jim. We Even don't talk about could, Bruno. I, you know, folks, yeah. you'll get that when you see the movie. Okay. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.